This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. This is the podcast that talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. Spirits, particularly sort of handmade craft spirits, particularly in New York, where I'm from. And there's some exciting stuff going on around here. And uh, I went and visited with one of the uh, local distilleries, Orange County Distillery. And it's a really cool they farm the stuff that they need all on their property they do everything by hand two guys uh so we'll hear from those guys i did i went over there and i recorded some a uh, little interview over there but uh it's pretty cool the new york is really um new york state who uh it, if you're outside the united states you might not realize that every state all 50 states have different uh liquor authorities and the rules are different in every state uh which makes it awfully confusing for everybody but um new york state is doing a lot to to help the small distilleries and it's and it's really thriving uh both uh, outside of New York City and, and actually inside New York City there's some very cool stuff going on. In Brooklyn, New York, there's Green Hook Ginsmiths and they make, I would say, my favorite gin of all time. It's really interesting. Uh, I don't quite understand it. It's made with a vacuum distilled process which means it, it never heats up and it's just such a great fresh tasting uh, gin. It's awesome. Uh, a guy named Steve and his brother started this business uh, just in a couple of years, 2012 I believe, and uh, uh, they're making some great products right right in Brooklyn, which is cool. And, uh, yeah, it's not just in the, you know, it's in the city, it's in the country. Uh, but like I said, uh, Orange County Distillery, they, they grow everything they need right there. They don't outsource a thing. The water comes out of the ground uh, from a spring on their property. They bottle it by hand, uh, these two guys. So it's, we'll, uh, like I said, we'll hear more from them a little bit in a little bit. But first, I want to tell you about some of the cool things going on in New York State here uh, that's helping all this uh, these, these small craft distillers grow. And uh, the, the state is actually, the state government has uh, taken a hand in, in producing, in helping this grow and uh, helps produce jobs and helps out uh, a lot of people, including some farmers. Uh, those guys I was telling you about, Orange County uh, Distilleries, that, that's a, on a farm that's been in this guy's family for five generations, which is pretty amazing. Uh, so, but in 2007, the state liquor authority introduced a special license that a farm license that only costs $128 to, to get this license. And it allows, uh, manufacturers who use at least 75% of New York state grain to produce small quantities of alcohol and sell it directly to customers at their distilleries. And it also allows them to, um, sell to bars and restaurants, uh, directly, which without going through a distributor, which, uh, is sort of this crazy middleman system that has been around since uh, the end of prohibition and uh it's a crazy system i can't stand it uh, ordering certain products i only have one choice of where to get it you know whether it's uh, whatever it is tangeray or whatever i only have one supplier and i have no choice and they have uh they'll raise my rates if you know if i'm not ordering a lot uh if it's not a big quantity they just go ahead and charge me more. It, believe it or not, um, you know, a bar here in New York is not allowed to go to the uh, local liquor store and pick up a bottle of anything. You have to go through this distributor and you have no other choice. And I'm finding that uh, some of the prices are actually higher for my distributor than they are in the liquor store, if you can believe that. So it's just this crazy system. Anyway, that's a rant on a different subject, but it's awfully cool that uh, these small distilleries can sell directly to their uh, 
to their guests that come and visit them and as well to local bars and restaurants. I think that's a great thing. And the, you know, it's, it goes back to the, it started with the craft beer movement and, uh, go, it also goes to the eat local and now you can drink local, you know? So it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and I've got some gin here from those guys. Uh, well, I won't get into that yet. <laughs> we'll come back to that later. Uh, but, uh, talking more about, um, the, uh, New York state's push to make things easier for small distillers, but it's so great. And there's a new regulation now that just took effect in 2014. And uh, according to the Wall Street Journal, there's a quote or uh, sort of a paraphrase from the Wall Street Journal article, while the ink is still drying on the law, farm distilleries are learning that they, uh, what they can and can't offer, what they can do. What they can do is offer um, cocktails now to their guests that come to visit them, which is a great thing. They say, uh, one of the distillers mentioned how um, a lot of people are not used to drinking uh, straight shots of gin per for example, or even whiskey, uh, and which is all they were allowed to do was serve like a um, quarter, three one quarter ounce um, servings per guest uh, in their tasting rooms. Um, so that was the old way, but now they're now they're allowed to actually make cocktails and charge for them, which is a great way for these places to uh, sustain themselves and have uh, new sources of income and uh, allow them to continue to make great spirits. So it's a, it's a very very cool thing and fun that you can go to uh, visit a distillery where they make uh, the stuff and and. Uh, have a cocktail. It's it's very cool and it's it's brand new. So a lot of the places aren't even doing it yet. And then there's crazy rules that just come out of nowhere. Like, uh, well, this makes sense to me. Spirits outside, produced outside of New York State, cannot be served uh, without a special liquor license um, that, that doesn't fall under this new ruling. And for some reason, this part makes no sense. Vermouth is off limits. <laughs> what? Where did that come from? I don't know. But distilling is such an expensive business to get into, and uh, you know a lot of them, a lot of the small distilleries are looking to make whiskey eventually. But that takes time, you know. It has to age in a barrel, right? So it takes time. So uh, they, a lot of them, have been making gin and vodka, which doesn't have to age uh, to help get them over the hump until they have some whiskey to sell. But the new, these new laws that I'm talking about will allow them to uh, to bring in some money and make cocktails and uh, create jobs. And it's a very cool thing. There's a place called Soon's Orchard up also in Orange County, New York, and uh, they've been around for years, you know, and they they, um, they do like apple picking and stuff like this, and they have a farm and a store, and they, uh, but now with the new regulations, they're allowed to make um, cider, you know, hard, ap- hard apple cider, and they're making it like uh, in the in the method of um, champagne, actually. So it's like a really high-end cider. But it's such a cool thing that they're, you know, they they used to be dependent on the weather so much. And, you know, if, if you have those couple weekends in, in the fall where people come out and do apple picking, but if there's bad weather, they're just, they lose crazy amounts of income. Uh, and now this is a great way for them to uh, to keep these farms going and, and make money uh, and sustain them and and the people around uh, have jobs and keep their businesses. It's such a cool thing, I think. And they also, this place soon, they also uh, have in their tasting room, they also sell tons of spirits that they don't make themselves, but all from New York State. And there's some, I've, I've had some great, great times in there and uh, and really enjoyed uh, tasting samples of uh, spirits made all around New York State. 
Well, that Orange County distillery I was talking about and I went and visited uh, was created by two guys, John Gablocki and Brian Ensall. And uh, John was the owner of this farm that's, like I said, was in his family for five generations. So cool. Um, and family farming is a, is a tough business and it's, it ain't easy to uh, keep it going. So it's so cool that they uh, were able to come up with this way to um, grow their own grains and, and make gin and whiskey and uh, white whiskey, and they're working on a single malt uh, whiskey, even a single malt white white whiskey, which that's something I've never tried before. So, uh, but they, when I got there, they uh, they had no whiskey left to sell. They sold out, and uh, they, they had a gin, they had a vodka, they had a gin, and they had a um, unaged corn whiskey or white whiskey, or it's also called white dog sometimes, or even moonshine, uh, all describe the same thing, which is an unaged, clear whiskey. They've got some bourbon aging, and uh, they're working on it, but uh, they, they do it in small barrels. Well, here, let, let me play some of the interview, and uh, we'll hear it from from the horse's mouth as the expression goes. Sorry, it's a little no- it was a little noisy in there. They're, they were making whiskey while we were talking right there in the old barn. And besides the other noises, every once in a while, this compressor would kick on, so uh, maybe I'll just leave that part out <laughs> let's see let's see how it sounds so tell us about orange county distillery orange county distillery so i'm i'm john Golbaki. i'm uh partner brian uh ensel's my uh, my partner we're 50 50 we had this idea to make uh spirits it all started with sugar beet taking a sugar beet and making vodka from it um we were growing it on the farm playing with it and uh thought it would be a good way to uh to to make an alcohol uh using this the sugar beet the changes in the state law made it feasible for us to go after the license and, and make yeah, it Yeah, that's reality. a very recent change, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so federally uh, everything is the same, really. 10, 20 years until now, it's all the same. But it's the state license that is affordable and it allows us to have a tasting room and yeah. self-distribute and go to farmer's market and that kind of stuff with our with our products. So that, that makes it interesting. We can really market our... And, it, and being that you grow your own product right here on the farm makes a difference, right? Yeah, so that's our niche. And uh, there's a lot of farm distilleries. I, I am the grower and one of the distillers. Brian and I both do distilling. Um, but we do grow stuff right on the property here, all the ingredients. So sugar beets for the vodka, the grains for the whiskey, the botanicals for the gin. Um, even now with the single malt, we are in black dirt, what we call, but it is organic matter soil. It has a lot of peat. Um, we're able to dig up our own peat, smoke it to to make a nice peat smoked single malt. Um, cool. It's aging, <laughs> so it's going to take a little time. How um, how long are you going to age that? We're working with ten gallon barrels. Um, with the bourbon, uh, ten months on these little barrels give us a decent, a young bourbon, but a decent tasting bourbon. Mm-hmm. I think the single malt. Is probably double that, yeah. Because um, the barrels used now, we're reusing that bourbon barrel. Some of that char is, you know, has left the barrel. Um, looking, just peeking at some of the single malt we have aging, the color. It's going to take longer to get that color, but sure. most scotches are lighter. Um, it's going to take a little time, so sure, I, I would sure. guess twenty. At least uh, it's a two-month deal, even in that ten-gallon barrel. Yeah. Um, well, then that compressor kicked on, and uh, we we continued to talk about how in the smaller barrels uh, the aging process happens a lot quicker. And in fact, they're using a honeycombed 
uh, type barrel, which increases the surface area even more. So it's uh, interesting that uh, the smaller barrels really make this aging process go faster. You know, the normal barrels are 55 gallons, I believe. And that's, um, you know, when you're talking about a bourbon that's 10 or 12 years old, it's been aged in that really large barrel uh, or a scotch or whatever it is. Um, but now in these smaller barrels, you can make you can make something good in a shorter amount of time. Ten months for the ten gallon barrel, we like it. Um, it's, it's to taste, and, and we think we're we're happy with it. Yeah. And people are happy with it. We got this bourbon following now, so yeah, cool. well, can't keep it on the shelf. Yeah, so that's a I good bet. problem. Yeah, um, exactly. Good problem to have. Yeah, field to bottle distillery. We grow the stuff, we bring it in. So there's a real seasonal aspect to what's happening here. Yeah, the that's grain kind of affect you. You know, yeah, the when the sugar beets are ready, we're going to make vodka. And when the grains are ready, you know, we're going to favor spirits of for that crop cycle. We know in the summer we're going to be doing rye. Rye is like more of a summer type yeah. grain for us. And uh-huh. we know we'll have it abundant. Mm-hmm. Barley is one thing that's not, it's something we can work with all season because we're malting it constantly. Um, so having it in storage and working with it. Um, yeah. Can you explain what, exactly what that is, malting? Yeah, malting. So in, on our scale, it's, it's taking uh, – the malting action is getting a grain to germinate. Um, right. Not to sprout though, just to root. Uh, the, the, the seed – and barley is the most common malter because the grain is really easy to work with and it malts fairly quickly. Okay. There's a lot of starch in barley opposed to rye or, or wheat. Barley is probably the flattest tasting grain, so I think it's – in that respect, it's it's easy to combine it with other things and not have it overpower something. But yeah, malting—you're getting a grain to malt. So you're what we do in large places—you you get the grain to soak, so it takes on the moisture. It initiates germination. You then get it out of that water, and you let it sit at a comfortable germinating temperature, which is anywhere for barley 40 to 60 degrees. It'll start to root. Um, the rootlet—the rootlets will be probably like. Uh, one and a half times the length of the barley seed itself before what, you... What period of time is going by at this point? So like on a Monday, it's soaking. Okay. Monday morning, it's starting to soak. Tuesday afternoon, you're taking it out of the water. You're, being, you're getting it to dry, get the water out. You're mm. putting it back into a vessel that you can keep the temperature fairly consistent um, and keeping it slightly moist so that it doesn't entirely dry out. It's, it's damp, kind of environment it um so that's it's out of the water it's in monday morning it's out say two so john went on to uh describe the process and it takes about a week the uh what they do is they take the uh barley that's malting and then they floor dry it they put it up on a uh, and this is a common uh process uh to in on the second floor of their barn there they put it out on the floor to dry and to stop the germinating process which um you don't want it to sprout because what happens is then it starts to use up the sugars and the sugars are needed to produce the alcohol. You know, yeast eats sugar and produces alcohol. So uh, interesting process how this all works. But it's really like this ancient process that they're using. And then some of the neighbors wandered in. It's just that kind of place where some of the neighbors might stop by or the neighboring farmers might stop by to say hello. Uh, you put the liquid in the bathtub and you let the barrel float in. Oh, all right. See? Yeah. So you get the same effect. Uh, the other way. Yeah, it's like a steep. Just It's a reverse barrel. Yeah. It's hard to uh, keep up with the barrels. I mean, I hear they're, they're getting hard to come by these days. Um, yeah, so you're, you're able to get them, yeah. you know, you have to 
say thank, please and thank you and, and all that, and uh, you get the barrels. Uh. You know, if you want to call your whiskey bourbon, the law stipulates that it has to be aged in a brand new charred oak barrel. Brand new, that means you can only use it once for making bourbon anyway. They are reused for making other other spirits, but uh, it can only be used once. So that means there's a lot of new barrels that need to be produced. And since bourbon's so popular right now, uh, there is some shortages with, with the barrels. That's what we were talking about there. Well, I opened up that bottle of Orange County Distillery gin and made myself a Negroni with it. And uh, if you listen to the show or follow me on Twitter or Twitter on Barkeep Tips and on Facebook, it's uh, just search for for uh, Bartender Journey. But uh, if you follow me on social media, you'll know that Negronis are a big big favorite of mine. And this one's very um, wow. The gin flavor really comes through. Gin is such an interesting category. There's actually several different categories of gin, uh, but basically, um, gin is made by uh, the first step is to make a neutral spirit just like vodka, and it can be made with uh, any grain. Uh, in this case, uh, with Orange County, they're making it with corn, but it could be anything, uh, just like vodka. So, um, but then it's distilled once, and then it is infused with things like juniper and other, other flavorings, and then it's distilled a second time. So that's a, a quick, a very quick and dumbed-down version of how uh, gin is made. It's really interesting to make a cocktail, uh, let's say in this case the Negroni, make it exactly the same way, just change out one ingredient. So if you make it uh, with this gin and then with something more, uh, let's say Tangeray or something that you're used to tasting and, and just see what the differences are and how it affects your cocktail, it's, I find it very interesting. So we're gonna say goodbye for now. Thank you for downloading the show. And I hope you will subscribe. Why not? Subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. And uh, as soon as the next show comes out, it'll download to your phone or whatever right away, your computer, and you'll get it for free. So do that. And uh, if you're on iTunes, do me a favor, go and uh, leave a review and put some stars in. Like I said at the top of the show, my name is Brian Vincent Weber. This is the Bartender Journey Podcast, and thank you for listening. You can follow me on Facebook at Barkeep Tips. You can find the Bartender Journey Facebook page just by searching Bartender Journey. And uh, find the website. It's bartenderjourney.net. And there you can find my friend Chris Tunsdale's course. If you click through, uh, you'll find a great course on bartending. Uh, very in-depth, tons of videos, and uh highly recommended. If you'd like to email me, please feel free to do it. You can email me at vince.bartender at gmail.com. Hey, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Cheers. (laughs)